Now turn to um, the letter of Peter. I, I hope I'm going to finish this book soon. This is the 53rd message on 1 Peter. Five chapters, and it's taken over a year to go through Peter. So we're continuing with uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and um, I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. From verse 1, therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily according to the will of God, not for sordid gain but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for the way it speaks to us. And I pray that you would grant that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight in this moment. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We've been focusing on this passage for the past two Sundays. This is the third Sunday we're speaking on the office of the elder or eldership, the office of the elder. And we've looked, first of all, that um, the office of the elder has no other authority than the authority granted by the Lord himself, the chief chief shepherd, which is in in the area of doctrine of discipline and direction. Please consider, if you haven't listened to that message, I encourage you to do so. We looked at the authority of the elders. It's very important that we understand that the elder does not have, or the pastor does not have, authority outside of that area. He has an opinion, he has an advice, but that's all. And last week we started um, uh, on this same chapter, we started to look at what, who the elders of the church are, who the elders of the church are. Unfortunately, there's a great controversy right now raging in the evangelical church. And I'll explain to you why, and that's why I've entitled this series, Stopping the Spirit of Jezebel. The reason why is because male headship is under attack. Male, male headship in the home and male headship in the church. It's under attack. Male headship, as you saw last week, is confirmed by the Genesis account when we see God creating Adam first and then Eve, not together but separately, and giving him specific instructions. He names the animals and finally he pronounces the blessing on the relationship. And it is confirmed in 1 Corinthians 11 by Paul, where we read, but I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of a woman, 
and God is the head of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. It's not a secret that most men in the Western culture are reluctant to exercise male leadership. It's seen as chauvinistic, misogynistic, sexist. They are afraid of being criticized. The prevalent example of weak and emasculated men has significantly impacted a generation that is growing without healthy male headship. Young girls need to see a strong and healthy male headship. Boys need to see it with their own eyes so they understand what it means to be a man. Healthy male headship. Today we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2 as well as other verses which confirms male eldership. In other words, that the office of the elder is male. Now, there are many other passages. I am not exhausting all the passages and I'm, because I can, I can do a whole year on eldership. I'm just giving you what I believe is necessary for now. There are many excellent books. The book that the uh, elders trainee are going through is an excellent book on elders, the office of elders. And uh, if you would like to know what that book is, you can speak to uh, Pastor Andrew or any one of the men, Marco, any one of the men uh, that are going through that book. It's a great book. Those who are being trained to be elders. So the text that I'm about to read to you is found in 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is the text par excellence that uh, those who uh, hate male headship hate as a text, they despise it, they disdain it. And it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. But I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet, for it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Now, there are so many distortions on this verse. I'm not going to deal with the distortions, like I said, I, can, I want to get through First Peter. But I will say this, that the boatload of controversy, especially in the last four decades, but in particular in the last ten, has caused evangelicals to be at odds within the evangelical church there is a war that is raging, pastors against pastors. More and more evangelical churches have abandoned the model of a male-led church, of a masculine church, effeminate songs, where the same words are repeated over and over and over to ad nauseum are popular. Men who dress more effeminately. Men who don't want to be men. There's a problem. Churches where elders are comprised both of male and female. They say this is less offensive. It looks cool if we're more effeminate. Some churches have, in fact, gone all the way and said, look, 
The leaders are women, period. They've gone that far. The churches have rejected male headship. I found that swimming against the current is far too costly. Some conservative pastors have said, why fight on this issue? I don't want to die on this mountain. There are so many other things we can be talking about and arguing about and fighting about. It's too misogynistic. They're concerned about what culture, what society, what their friends will say about them. Well, Jesus reminded us a long time ago what culture will say about the church. In John 15, verse 19, if you were of the world, Jesus said, the world would love its own. If the world loves us, there's a problem. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. It hates us. Some people can't stomach that. Who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the culture that disdains his word, disdains the gospel, disdains inerrancy, disdains inspiration, disdains many other truths along with male headship. Many claim to love Jesus. They see him as an icon. I spoke to one guy. He's, he doesn't know the Lord at all. I, speak, I meet him regularly at the cafe whenever I'm up to it. And very erudite, knows like five, six languages. He knows not only Greek, he knows Koine Greek and ancient Greek. He was even able to look at Paul's writings in Greek and say his Greek was quite good. I said, well, that's nice of you to say that. Because his Greek is even far better than Paul's. That's how knowledgeable this man is. But he doesn't know the Lord. Doesn't believe that the Lord God exists. He's impressed with Jesus, though. Many are. They see him as an icon, as an iconoclastic individual who came and revolutionized the world of um, Palestine when he lived 2,000 years ago. But they don't love God's word. They don't love the Lord. They haven't been regenerated by the Spirit of God. They haven't been born again. They don't know what the gospel is. They don't know that they are sinners deserving of wrath and that God sent his son to absorb that wrath so that we would not be judged, so we can stand before a holy God one day, so we can call him Father today, love him today. They don't know him. That's who the world is. Why would you want to curry their favor? Why do these pastors of evangelical churches want to curry the favor of our culture? It's beyond me. doesn't make any sense. Offensive? Yes, the Bible offends. That's the point. It offends me every time I read it. It convicts me. Every single time, it brings me to my knees. It's God's Word. It's a living book. If you don't love God's Word, then you're part of the world. If you have no place for prayer in your life, you are part of the world. You are more concerned about living in pleasure and comfortably, and you are not in Christ, you are part of the world. If you don't know the gospel, that Christ died for you on the cross, took 
the wrath that you deserved, then you're part of the world. If you're not serious about sin, then you're part of the world. If you can't share the gospel or you have no desire to share the gospel with those you live with every single day that you intersect with, then you're part of the world. If you do not see God's word as the final authority, you're part of the world. You do not pursue holiness. You're part of the world. Christ says, I chose you out of the world. Why is it that many churches seek to curry the favor of the world is just mind-boggling. We'd rather offend God than offend others around us. Makes no sense. Not to me, it doesn't. It makes no sense. They either don't belong to Christ or they've been seriously bewitched. I mean, seriously. And on the issue of male headship, it's obvious that the world is not in favor of this truth. How could so many Christians be against male headship, you say? (laughs) They are. A whole bunch of them. Even within the Christian and Missionary Alliance. How could so many Christians say that gay marriage is okay? How could so many Christians say that the LGBTQ uh, ideology is okay? Either not believers or they have been seriously bewitched. The scriptures are clear when it comes to male headship. Not only must it be taught, which I'm doing now, which we've done and we're doing again, but the task of teaching the body of Christ is reserved for the office of the elders, the shepherds of the church. The elders of the church are male, according to Paul. Again, the reason Paul gives in his letter to Timothy is the Genesis account, which is found in chapter 2. What does he say? For it was Adam who was first formed, first rather created, sorry, and then Eve. Paul goes back to Genesis, to the moment before the fall. Men are called to lead in the home and men are called to lead in the church. It doesn't mean they're perfect. They make, they make a whole bunch of mistakes. I know. I'm a living proof of that. But men are called to lead. This is the biblical principle. And the reason why we um, have been given a wife is because we make so many mistakes. God said it. It is not good for a man to be alone. And even more so now. After the fall. We make a whole bunch of mistakes. And God often has to intervene and say, like he said to Abraham, listen to your wife. I know he had to do that in my life. Listen to Sarah, he told Abraham. Couldn't God have told Abraham what Sarah was suggesting, what she was asking Abraham to do? Sure he could have. But God told him, listen to your wife. But Abraham was the leader. That's how it works. Men are called to lead in the home. That's how we please the Lord. And they're called to lead in the church. The men who lead in the church are elders who have proven themselves with diligent study, with sacrifice, with faithful attendance to be men who hate sin, 
love God and lay their life down for the flock. That's what elders are. Lay their life down for the flock. They're not the first to leave. They're the last to leave the church. They're the first to be attentive to what's going on around them. They go towards others. They care about people. That's what elders are. That's what we want. And that's what we're training men to be at LCF. I'm glad. We have wonderful women of God in this church. Women do this naturally. They're nurturing. They go out and they're out of their way and they pray one for another. and They call each other. Thank God for the women of LCF. But the men have been lacking. And that's why three years ago, we took a decision to address this. And God has been rewarding this decision. Praise God. This is how we please the Lord. And we don't want to be um, functional egalitarians. In other words, just having the principle, believing in it as an ideology in male headship, and yet functionally be egalitarians. We want to be functionally complementarians. Functionally. So we cannot ignore the teaching of Scripture on this point. In an attempt to become culturally relevant, we will become, will end up becoming useless and worldly. And this is what's happening in many progressive churches. You have pastors that never say these words. The Bible says, God's word says, they'll never say it. We have pastors who don't even believe in the authority, in the inerrancy, and in the inspiration of Scripture. Pastors today of mega churches, sad, leading thousands astray, thousands, having large platforms. This is what's happening in so many progressive churches. In their attempt to accommodate everyone, these churches have no clue as to what they believe and have lost their way. They've become the blind leading the blind. And now to the text that I told you about last week found in Revelations chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we have seven churches mentioned uh, by the Apostle John. Of the seven, two only receive no rebuke. Only two. The church of Philadelphia and the church of Smyrna. I'm not going to be speaking about these two churches. I'm going to be speaking about one of the churches that was rebuked, the church of Thyatira. Thyatira, Thyatira was close to Ephesus. So if you read the letter of Ephesus... That church of Thyatira was close to Ephesus. So there are seven churches all in Asia Minor, in present-day Turkey, if you would. And so it says, from, starting from verse 18, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. She teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with plague, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, 
who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold firmly until I come. The one who overcomes and the one who keeps my deeds until the end, I will give him authority over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are shattered, as I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's so much that could be said about this. There's a lot. But let me just say this. It's a very fascinating passage. Um, We're going to be focusing on Thyatira, but in particular, the woman that the Lord calls out, Jezebel. Now, that's not her name, obviously. And we know that because Jezebel is an Old Testament character. She appears in the book of 1 Kings. She was a Sidonian, basically not a Hebrew, who King Ahab of Israel married. And the Israelites were told not to marry outside of Israel because people outside of Israel worshipped other gods and they would introduce pagan worship into the land of Israel because pagan worship was very sensual. It was uh, attractive. It had a lot of immorality woven into the worship itself. And so it was... It appealed to the senses. And so God would say, do not marry these women. Kings were forbidden to marry foreign women. But Ahab, of course, uh, did the opposite. And he married this one called Jezebel, who was a Sidonian, basically a Phoenician. Right? And in a time when male headship was accepted and the accepted norm, Jezebel was not happy to be simply the supportive wife. Once she became queen, Jezebel played King Ahab like a fiddle. Ahab was relegated to being a puppet king. Um, she manipulated him whichever way she saw fit, and Ahab lost his authority, and Jezebel behave, became the queen behind the king who decided everything. She imposed her will on Israel and finally led the entire nation of Israel into flagrant flagrant idolatry, and the nation never recovered, never recovered from that. All the while, Ahab, a Hebrew who knew God's law, was king. This was happening. And we find these words that describe the disaster as a result of this twisted relationship that Jezebel and King Ahab had. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 25. We read, there certainly was no one like Ahab. So he the writer singles out this king, no one like him, who gave himself over to do evil in the sight of the Lord. But why was he doing evil? Because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. So she wasn't doing it. She was causing Ahab to do it. Interesting, isn't it? Yes, Ahab was exceedingly evil. Yet Jezebel was behind his actions and every decision. While Ahab was ultimately responsible because he was the man. He was the king. For the apostasy happening in the land, it was the fact that he gave up his authority over to Jezebel that precipitated the evil. 
After Jezebel's awful death, and it was awful, she was eaten alive by dogs, never again is her name mentioned in all of Scripture. Not even, nothing. It doesn't appear. Jezebel does not appear. It appears once only. And it's Jesus himself that mentions her name in Revelation. Interesting, isn't it? So, the Lord mentions her name, Jezebel, in reference to this woman that everyone knew about. Now, her actual name is not mentioned. This woman, this leader in the church of Thyatira. Was this woman saved? We don't know. Uh, was she deceived? Well, she was either saved or deceived. Uh, saved and deceived, or lost, rather. However, it does say quite a bit about this woman in the church of Thyatira. So I will draw your attention to the three areas of rebuke toward the church in reference to this woman, whom Jesus calls a Jezebel, which is a figure of speech. First, the church was lackadaisical. Notice, you, in verse 20, meaning the church, tolerate the woman Jezebel. You tolerate this person. This woman of the church of Thyatira slowly but surely built her influence. The church supported by the elders of the church. This is a funny thing. The elders of the church supported this woman. Allowed this woman to become a leader, a role that clearly did not belong to her because the Lord would never have said, you tolerate her. You tolerate her. Just like Ahab, the king of Israel, had allowed Jezebel to take over, so these leaders, these elders of the church of Thyatira, allowed this woman to take over in the church of Thyatira. Her words, her influence, her charm, her charisma, her knowledge, her wealth. Maybe she employed many of them. We don't know. doesn't say. Whatever tools were at her disposal, she used to curry the favor of the church. This all happened as the elders watched. <laughs> they slept at the wheel. A godly woman does not vie for power. We have many godly women at LCF. They do not vie for power. Read Proverbs 31 of the virtuous woman, and you see one thing about that virtuous woman. She does not vie for power. She doesn't. Read the words of Deborah in the book of Judges when she speaks to Barak, right? Not Obama. Barak, the commander of the army of Israel. And what does she tell him? Be a man. Go and fight and lead the men. And he says, I won't go unless you come with me. Here's Deborah supporting him. But the men were not men. This woman had, uh, in, uh, this woman in the church in Thyatira, had no interest in supporting male headship. Just like Jezebel of old, this woman first infiltrated the church, and after winning the leaders over, she manipulated them. Her Machiavellian move was perfect. Once the pastors or elders, same thing, were won over into giving her a position of power, then she proceeds to her final step. So she gains influence, and she's respected, and now everybody just praise her. What's her final step? Teaching. She begins to teach. Verse 20, she teaches. She teaches. When we read scriptures, we ought to read it very carefully and very slowly. Every word matters. She teaches. She wasn't supposed to teach. 
First Timothy chapter 2 says it very clearly. She teaches. She ingratiates herself into the church. This woman began to teach. She exercises authority, and her teaching becomes not only welcomed, but praised. She does exactly what Paul says no woman should do. No one, woman should exercise authority in the church. No woman is to teach the church as a whole. Yes, God's word says that older women are to teach younger women. They are to do that. They are to teach children. Yes, they, they have the gift. They can teach. They should teach. They should exercise their gift. Women can prophesy. Women can encourage. Women can have a whole bunch of offices in the church, but not that of the elder. Not that of the elder. And so these men who were there, I don't know what they were doing, who were called to lead and to teach, looked at this woman who was an influence but now had become an evil influence. They viewed her as the leader. And she teaches and teaches and exercises her authority in the church, and she takes over. What were the elders doing? <laughs> were they feeding the flock? No. Were they teaching? No. Were they warning? No. Because that's what an elder should be doing. Warn, teach, and, and, and uh, feed the flock. No, they weren't doing that. They were all taken up with this new teaching that she had. Were they discerning? No. No discernment whatsoever. I'm not sure what happened to these men. Something just turned off. So what happens? Well, it says, she leads my bondservants astray so that they commit sexual immorality. We have a slew of pastors today committing sexual immorality. A slew. Once one time we thought it was just within, in, the, in the Catholic church. Not so. It's sad. It's distressing. This woman, through her teaching, successfully led the rest of the elders. Notice it says, my bondservants. She wasn't, she wasn't targeting the church alone. She was targeting the leaders of the church. She leads my bondservants astray so that they commit sexual immorality. So she heard through her teaching, through her influence, because she had ingratiated herself, because she had gained influence, she began to teach and teach, and this teaching was not according to sound teaching, biblical teaching. And she led the elders astray. They were unable to discern that her teaching was not scriptural. Her teaching generated worldly living and sexual immorality. The reason why it mentions also that they eat things sacrificed to idols because sexual immorality often would take place with uh, this pagan worship. So most likely, these elders would participate in the worship that was offered to other gods. Imagine these are his bond servants, the Lord's elders that he had placed in the church and had ordained these men who just went astray. They went AWOL. What in the world happened? But all through a woman who exercised her influence and vied for power and took over the church. 
What is revealing about the church of Thyatira is that it was primarily the elders who were seduced by this one. Like King Ahab of old, they gave up their authority and allowed this woman's teaching, this woman's authority to infiltrate the church and it wreaked disaster, disaster. For this reason, you need strong elders, not just one pastor, not one pastor. If I fall sick, if I get, I don't know, if the Lord calls me home, I get a heart attack, whatever. You need strong men, plurality of elders. Weak elders will be afraid to stand against the spirit of Jezebel, which is the spirit of our culture that is prevalent in our day and has successfully made inroads into the church, the evangelical church. LCF needs to be a church that believes in male headship and stands by it because God's word teaches it. We need elders that do not capitulate to the culture. Notice this woman's MO. It was the same as Queen Jezebel. After becoming Queen Jezebel brought into Israel 850 false prophets. That's what she did in the Old Testament. She brought in 850 false prophets of Baal and Astarte on the king's payroll. They were supported by her. Get it? Interesting, isn't it? This woman in Thyatira, first, she ingratiated herself like Jezebel, received the authority, and then began to teach her false teaching and with devastating consequences. Why is it that the LGBTQ ideology has penetrated the church? Why is it that most churches right now are thinking about um, gay marriage? You can't fight this. How are we going to fight this? We all have people, that, friends and neighbors that we know that are nice people and they're thinking about gay marriage because they're gays and they come to us and they've come to us too. I've had many, many people come to me and ask me. I said, go to our website. You'll get your answer. Now that website can, can incriminate us in the future. It can. And the elders are the ones who are going to be paying the price for that incrimination. They come against us. They will come against the elders of the church first. That, will, that may happen. But we need strong men. Men that are filled with the Holy Spirit and men who will not give in to the spirit of the culture, the spirit of Jezebel. When you compromise on male headship, then... You're just interested in incurring the favor of the culture. And that will wreak, wreak such disaster in the home and in the church. Why is sexual immorality so prevalent? I've been, I don't have to tell you about instances. They're every week. It's disgusting what I hear, what's going on in so many churches. Why is it happening? I believe that the absence of male headship plays a humongous, a humongous part. Let's go back to what God's word says. Let's fear God. Let's not be afraid of men. Let's not be afraid of the government. Let's not be afraid of those around us. Please, let's fear the Lord. Let's not offend the Lord. Church leaders who are weak, not willing to stand on the authority of God's word, especially on the issue of male headship, will capitulate to the culture will capitulate to the spirit of Jezebel. The office of elders must be male. 
must be comprised of, uh, the, the eldership must be comprised of men who fear God, who love the Lord, who love the church, who will lay down their life for the church, and are not afraid of teaching from God's word, as the Bible says. This is the word of the Lord. It is for this reason that LCF is unashamedly complementarian when it comes to the home and supports male headship. We teach it, we stand on it. Male headship, both in the home and in the church. Even if we are a few, and we're very few in Canada. Very, very few. We will continue by God's grace to stand on the word of the Lord. Even if we're ridiculed and made fun of, we'll continue to stand. We would much rather please the Lord than be culturally relevant. We're not into numbers. We don't want to fill the church. We want to fill people's hearts with God's word. And we want the people of God to fear the Lord. We want them to know the gospel. That's what we want, because that's what God wants. I think I've been very clear, haven't I? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful day with your people, with those who are hungry for your word, for those who love you and fear you, have been called by you, chosen by you to be a light and salt of this earth. Thank you for the way you've blessed our church, for the way you've been with us for so many years. And you, as of recent, we've seen your hand at work in the lives of many of us and in our home and in our personal walk. Lord, we are indebted to you so, in so many ways. We owe you all the glory, all the praise. And I pray, O oh Lord, that you will continue to raise up men in our midst that uh, will stop the spirit of Jezebel from infiltrating. Thank you for the godly men that are being right now trained to serve you and please you and do your will. Thank you for the godly women that you've blessed LCF with. Thank you because we are transparent and open one with another. We do not hide. We don't want to be males, leaders who hide behind this facade of perfection, that we have it all together, that we never sin and we never make mistakes. Deliver us from that facade. Deliver us from all forms of hypocrisy. May we be transparent one with another and may we please you in loving each other and, and serving each other as you would want for the sake of Christ's name. Continue to bless us, O oh Lord, for your name's sake we pray. Amen.